Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. With help from our show sponsor, Davis Family Medicine, Story Story did some solid time at the old Idaho Penitentiary on September 26, 2017 with Slammers in the Slam. On this podcast, we hear our featured storyteller, the Searles Place artist-in-resident Hassan Alahi, who was put on the FBI watch list after 9-11. Let the FBI listen in. It's story time. While away from whiskey, while women and Mr. Hassan Elahi. Okay, thank you, Jody. Thanks. And Burr, it's a little chilly, you know. I was actually I did not I didn't realize this was gonna be outdoors until just yesterday when someone said, Oh, it's gonna be outdoors. Like, oh wait, it's night, it's cold. So and this is actually the first time I've I've been in a prison. Uh, you know, so not not in, you know. I haven't been in a prison in that way, but I, I almost got shipped off to like another prison. Uh, that's on a Caribbean island. You know, you get very stylish orange jumpsuits. You get three halal meals a day. Uh, I did not experience that, so that's a good thing. But I got really close. I got really close, and uh, this happened in uh, June of 2002. Uh, I was uh, flying back from. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm an artist, so just a little bit of a background. I mean, you know, and, you, and as artists, you kind of go, you work wherever you kind of have work. And I'm actually in Boise at Searle's Place right now, which has been an amazing last five weeks that I've been there. Woohoo! Yes, yes. And, and, and it's been a wonderful experience getting to meet a lot of people here. So in June of 2002, I was doing a project in Dakar in Senegal in West Africa, the Dakar Biennial. And as I'm flying back... I come in, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm flying in and out all the time, so this is, you know, usually you get the, the, the norm. And I come in to the Detroit airport off of this flight, I think it was KLM 647 coming in into, into, from Amsterdam into Detroit. And, you know, you're going through the huge, like that cattle uh, rope kind of things, and you're kind of going from one, one thing to another. And then you finally get to the guy with the, with the immigration place. Back then it was INS, because you know this is pre-Department of Homeland Security. And uh, I walk up, and I hand my passport over, and the guy swipes it through and just stops. You know, no, nothing, just doesn't even look up at me, doesn't, is not even moving. I'm not really sure what's happening, you know. And I was like, is there something wrong? And uh, he doesn't still, doesn't even look up at me, kind of just like, you know, who knows what it said on the screen. You know, maybe he's hitting that little, like, silent alarm button underneath the, his desk or whatever. And uh, he says, follow me, please. And so I follow him, and, he, and we're following, and we're walking through this, like, rat maze at the airport. And we go around this corner and down this way and down that way. And I end up in this huge room, which, you know, this pretty large space, maybe about half the size of this this seating area over here. And everywhere you look, there's all these people from every far-fetched corner of the earth. Uh, you know, lots of brown people of different, <laughs> different shades of brown. You know, yeah, I mean, you know there's, considering that there's a lot, considering that, you know, the Detroit is the hub for uh, Northwest Airlines at that time, and almost all the flights came from Amsterdam to Detroit, there was surprisingly a, a lack of Dutch people in the room. But uh, so I'm there in this huge, huge, huge room, and you know, and there's like guards everywhere. They're like, you know, and then they're in fully officious uniforms, and I'm trying to start up a conversation with the guards. Guys, you guys got any idea what I'm doing here? And they're looking at me like, "What are you doing here?" It's like you're not waiting for an interpreter, and you know, you're holding that 
blue passport with that gold thing that, you know, obviously you're a U.S. citizen otherwise. You know, uh, by the way, at this, I was in a, what would happen to be an INS detention facility. And, you know, U.S. citizens, you know, I mean, when was the last time you got taken in by INS? Or when was the last time, I, with, INS doesn't even exist anymore, but it's ICE now. When was the last time you got, you got uh, taken in by ICE because you're a U.S. citizen? What, 30 minutes past now? Yes. <laughs> so when you were going back home, you know, uh, just keep, keep, those, keep, keep, uh, keep an eye out for the way. No, actually, uh, I don't think, uh, because Border Patrol won't be in Idaho because it's, uh, it's within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So as long as you don't go too far north, you're okay. <laughs> Though, anyway, so I'm, I'm in this huge, huge, huge room and I'm going, what is going on here? And I swear it was it was some it was like a scene out of the movies, and you know, I'm like sitting there in this corner and just hanging out, kind of just doing my mind and my business. And this guy in this dark suit walks straight up to me and looks at me, and goes, "I expected you to be older." And I was like, "Whoa!" It's like, you know, look. I mean, I I was born in Bangladesh. I was raised in New York City, so English is a second language for me. And I remember during my English classes, no one actually told me that was a proper greeting. I'm like, it's like, dude, I tried, I tried to age as quick as I could. Uh, you mind explaining what's going on? And he just looks at me and goes, you got some explaining to do yourself. So we go around and go into a room. And uh, it's one of these rooms where, you know, it's like there's a, like this L-shaped desk. And there's like a little camera in the corner. It's one of those weird rooms that's actually taller than it's wider. You know, you know that kind of architecture? Kind of like how prison cells are designed, and I'm there, and and you know, and there's like, and there's a little, there's a little computer on this, and as we, as I'm walking, I, I just catch a little glimpse of a, of the screensaver that's on the computer screen, and it's kind of this like, officious-looking shield thing, and he's like, where were you? It's like I just got off that plane that just landed from Amsterdam. Where were you before that? Well, I had a change of planes in Lisbon. You know, where were you before that? Uh, you know, it's, uh, I was hanging out on the beach in Faro in Portugal. Where were you before that? Uh, I went to see an exhibition in Germany at, uh, in Kassel at that time. And then, you know, he's like, where were you before that? Uh, you know, I was in Paris. My, my university has a summer program. And uh, I was visiting the, the class that was there. And, of course, you know, he wants to, he's not, he's, you can tell he's frustrated because he's not getting what he wants. You know, he wants me to say, like, yeah, I've been hanging around these caves with these guys with really long beards and machine guns and pet goats. You know, and I'm, like, telling him all these things. It's like, I'm telling him all these friendly Western European countries. And he's just, you know, you can just see he's, he's, not, he's not agitated, but he's frustrated. He's not, like, getting what he wants to hear from me. Then... And then we get to, you know, where were we before that? And I say, Dakar. And he looks at me and goes, where's that? And look, I mean, I still don't know what's happening here. I'm in this, and I realize I'm some mode of suspect, and this is some law enforcement or some sort of officious somebody. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those bizarre state of mind things. But it probably has something to do with terrorism, something to do with international terrorism. And of course, you know, you can't tell the guy, and it's like, dumbass, you really should know what the largest city in West Africa is. 
But uh, I, so you know, and but of course, you know, so I'm going in my academic mode, and I draw him a little map of Africa with my fingertip on the table, and point to the westernmost tip of it, and explain to him the significance of Dakar and the significance of the slave trade to the New World. You know, so I'm like giving him like my whole like academic lecture on 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 uh, Senegal, and and he goes, look, he just looks at me, he goes, they Muslim there? I was like, about about 95% of the population. Because what were you doing there? Because I'm an artist, and I'm, I had an exhibition there. And he's like, what kind of art do you make? Now look, I have a hard enough time explaining my art to other artists, <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking, okay, uh, I, I, I'm a sculptor. I just left it at that, because I built a structure out there. I figured he would understand that. He's like, who pays for your trips? Well, sometimes the museums and uh, institutions that invite me, sometimes my university pays for, sometimes it's just frequent flyer miles, uh, you know. He says, who do you meet at these places? You know, uh, other artists, uh, museum people, people in the arts, uh, journalists, you know, pe people that are interested in, in coming and seeing art, uh, people that go to uh, museums and art shows. And he's like, hmm. He goes, and then out of nowhere he goes to me, where were you September 12th? And I was like, I don't remember exactly, but I can look it up for you. So I had this old, like, this was, this was in 2002, so I had this like old Palm, like M505, remember that with the gray things, and you go, yeah, those little tiles. It, it totally screwed up my handwriting. I can't, I mean my handwriting, because you had to like write all weird with it, because otherwise it didn't recognize it. So I was like, okay, let's look up September 12th. Okay, uh, 12th of September, at this time I paid my storage bill. At this time I went here, at the, at, I taught my class from three to six, and then I taught this other class from six to uh, nine or whatever, and, it's, and, I'm, and I'm telling, I'm like, you know, where were you the 11th? Okay, this is what happened on the 11th, where were you the 10th? So we read my calendar on the 10th, where were you the 9th? Where were you the 23rd, the 28th? We read about six months of my calendar. And I don't think he was expecting me to have such detailed information, but uh, he's like, hmm. And I'm glad I had that, because otherwise, who knows what would have happened. Who I might actually be in a real jail right now uh, in that very not-so-stylish orange outfit. But uh, so he's, he looks at me, he goes, hmm, this, this, uh, this storage. He goes, oh, uh, and, he, and he looks at me, he goes, uh, what did you, um, the storage unit, you had a storage unit in Tampa. I, I used to live in, the, in Tampa at the time, at the, and I taught at the University of South Florida. And he's like, what did you have in the storage unit? Because you had a storage unit, right? I was like, yes. He goes, what did you have in it? It's like, I don't know, junk, you know, uh, winter clothes that I have no use for in Florida, uh, assorted garage sale material, assorted pack rat material. You know, I can't get rid of stuff. He goes, no explosives? I was like, I'm absolutely certain I had no explosives. And he goes, well, and then later on he went in to clarify that the authorities had received a report that an Arab man had fled on September 12th who was hoarding explosives in the storage unit. And that Arab man would be me. And now hold on a bit because I'm not Arab, you know. But, you know, you know, it's that whole thing, like, if you're kind of brown, they're kind of all the same over there. And I, and I look totally different with a turban on. Never mind, I never actually wore one. Though I'm, I'm thinking about it for Halloween. I think for Halloween I did an American flag turban. And, and then, because I'm scheduling a flight very specifically for that day. 
but uh, you know, so you know, and then he realized that what basically happened. This was a bogus tip that came in. You know, somebody somebody heard something, and and so yeah. So basically, he's like, okay, I have enough information here. I'm going to pass this on to local guys. Uh, they will follow up with you. The the office in Tampa is the ones that uh, initiated this, and they will follow up with you, and we'll get this taken care of. He he, you know, he was very understanding in the fact that this was completely a waste. This was, you know, this is a bogus tip. It, I, I was not dangerous at all. Otherwise, why would he let me get on the plane and go go home? So I get on my flight. I go home. And I'm sitting in my office at the university, and then the phone rings. And, you know, it's like, who calls on an, an office phone? And even back then, even like 15 years ago, I was like, who's calling me here? Okay, so I answer the phone. And uh, this man introduces himself, said, uh, we'll could do a follow-up to your interview in Detroit. By the way, they, the, the FBI, they, they have some weird, like, um, weird vocabulary, like interview instead of interrogation, and it's far from anything about an interview. And, I, and, he's, and he, was, he was super, you know, like accommodating. He goes, you know, we can meet you at your house. We can meet at, at, a, at your work. We can meet at a public space, wherever you prefer. I was like, you know what, guys? I have nothing to hide. I'm just going to show up at your office. He goes, okay, great. Well, you know, what about this date and this time? I was like, sure, not a problem. So we set up the appointment, and uh, so a few days later, I drive down to Zach Street in downtown Tampa, which is where the the federal building, which is where the FBI is, and I pull, I park my big old uh, pickup truck with the shotgun rack and the country music station presets, because that's what I like. Yeah, so I just parked it on around the corner, and I'm driving, and I'm walking, and you know, so I'm walking down the front of the building, and I'm about to go, and this man, like, he's like, please wait. And it's like I'm at the edge of the sh- edge of the sidewalk here, and the building's entrance is like 20, 25 feet. It's a weird, awkward space where he can watch everything that I'm doing, but it's too far to actually exchange any words. And he's like going back and forth on two cell phones, talking, and I, don't, I have no idea what he's saying. And then the only thing that's going through my head right now is that some van is going to pull up, and they're going to drag me in, and no one's ever going to hear from me again. And I'm sitting there, and or I'm standing there on the side of the road at the edge of the edge of the curb. And then a few minutes later, he puts his phones away. Says, "You may approach." So I approached, walk into the building. You know, this is a federal building, so this is not your typical security guards. This is, you know, these badass federal marshals. And I remember this one guy really vividly. You know, he was like, you know, he was he was like pretty. Big. He is one of those guys that has to have his arms down like this because it won't go any lower. Uh, very like, you know, very pink. You know, the South Florida sun was not treating him very well. Like totally no neck kind of guy. You, 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 you know, you know the type. And uh, you know, obviously of some some type of Northern European background, but which was kind of, which, which is important because as soon as I walk in, he's yelling at me in Arabic. You know, this is, this is definitely not a native Arabic speaker, and he's yelling at me in Arabic. I was like, I got no idea what you're saying. <laughs> Completely ignores the fact that I'm responding to him in English and continues yelling at me in Arabic. It's like, Dude, I know you speak English, so whatever you need to know, just ask me in English, and I will be happy to tell you, but I have no idea what you're saying to me. Eventually, the guy on the two phones had enough of the circus. Says, he just walks me through. We end up on the sixth floor, and I, walk, and I go into this room, and uh, there again was the L-shaped desk 
walnut fake wood grain with the chrome legs. I'm convinced the FBI got a really great bulk special on them. Because it's not everywhere. It's like, it, that's all I saw with these like weird like L-shaped desks and like chrome legs. I think next time they have a clearance sale, I want to buy one for the house, you know, to relive those memories. My wife probably says, probably thinks it's a miserable idea. But uh, so I'm there and, uh, you know, so th and there's two guys. It's not, and it's like this weird like, not necessarily good cop, bad cop, but like one guy would ask like really like goofy questions like state your name. And you'd state your name, state your occupation, state my occupation. Then, you know, there's all these other, and then the other guy stays pretty quiet. And then he'd say a couple of questions and I would answer it, you know, and uh, one of the things about academics is that they, they never shut up. It's like, you know, you say, you know, you ask them a question and they give you like the whole like essay answer with like, you know, all these background information and everything. So I'd, so he'd ask me a question and I'd respond like that. And then he'd start reading the next question and then realize that I'd already answered it in the previous answer. And then we'd go through this game again. And then there was this, uh, this other guy on the other side. And um, he'd, 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 every now and then he would interject a thing. He's like, he goes, have you ever witnessed or participated in any act that, uh, so no, no yeah, have you ever witnessed any any uh, have you ever witnessed or participated in any act that may be detrimental to the United States or a foreign nation now think about the state of mind you're in and think about that question and, and the syntax of that question and what you've been just asked you've basically been asked four questions simultaneously and the answer is any of the above so and then I realized, wait, I was recently in Chiapas in southern Mexico. And uh, so I started, to, and at that time, the Zapatistas were actually quite visible. And so I started talking about how, yeah, you know, so yeah, I was in Chiapas. And so he goes, and, and as I start describing the, the situation, he stops, he cuts me off and stops me. He goes, we're not interested in indigenous populations. It's <laughs> like, okay. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna cut through the chase. He goes, have you ever met anyone from the Taliban? He goes, no, have you met anyone from Hezbollah? No, have you met anyone? And he named all these, all these organiza organizations. I consider myself relatively on top of world affairs. I had never even heard of half of these people that he mentioned. Then we get to, have you ever witnessed any activity by each of these? And when we get to Hezbollah, I was like, yes. And the reason being is uh, the previous year, I, uh, I went to visit some colleagues at the American University in Beirut. And, when you, and uh, on the bus that I was there, you know, you see like, you know, you're going through these towns and there's like these huge signs, the Hezbollah welcomes you too in the name of the town, which is kind of odd. You know, it's like, you know, the mob welcomes you to this city. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's what, and he's looking at the FBI agent, this guy, this FBI agent, he's like, what were you doing on a Hezbollah bus? It's like, I had no idea I was actually on a Hezbollah. He goes, you were on a Hezbollah bus. What were you doing on it? I was like, I, was like, no, I just got on the bus from Damascus and went to Beirut. He goes, look. The regular bus takes the main highway, and it goes this, from this city to this city. If you were seeing these signs, that means you were on a Hezbollah bus because those buses were going through these towns. So not only are you dealing with like this guy who's like super, super, super imposing and like physically can like beat the daylights out of you, you're dealing with like crazy total recall Robocop who knows like obscure bus schedules in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I'm just like, what is going on with this thing? It, Anyway, so there was another time when you know, he's like flipping through my passport real quickly. He's like, what are you doing in Serbia? And this was during the bad old days of Serbia, you know, the bad old Milosevic days, when they didn't stamp U.S. passports. 
because they they wanted the hard currency from the tourist dollars, but they didn't necessarily want you know they you know they didn't stamp the passports. So at that time, I'd been there frequently enough. I was like, hey, uh, it's like how do you know I was in Serbia? He goes, look here. He's pointing to this really blurry like Croatian exit stamp. He goes, there's only one country you could go to from this city. This guy like knew like these bizarre little obscure Eastern European border crossings. Anyway, so this went on for six months, and it finally ended with nine consecutive polygraphs, uh, just one after another, after another, after another. And you know, you're like, you got these wires coming out of you, you're sitting in a poofy pleather chair. It's not like the movies with the things. There's no none of that stuff. It's super quiet. It feels like you know, like super, super, super like. Uh, sedated. It's almost like it's almost like watching those scenes from like the you know some, the executioner like doing a lethal injection type of a situation. It really felt like that. And and really, I don't remember what happened. I just dozed off. I just came off. Anyway, so after all this, uh, the FBI agent who was uh, administering the polygraph, uh, he was like, you know, you haven't been traveling much lately. I was like, would you go anywhere if you were me? I was like, here you guys for the last six months, and you, you know, it's, and he goes, oh, you know, that's a that's a fair point, and then and then I told him this, hey guys, you know, I'm I have a trip coming up to Indonesia, because uh, I'm I'm I mean I'm concerned, you know, what if how do we avoid this all over again? He's like, oh no no, you should be careful, you know, we just had a terrorist attack in Indonesia, and I was like, guys, and that's you know, it's like. I'm more afraid of one of you guys kind of thinking you, you know, in your hearts and your minds, thinking you're doing the right thing and nobody knows where I am. And at that moment, the FBI agent he says, you know, here's some phone numbers. If you get into trouble, give us a call. We'll take care of it. It's like, great. You know, it's like, I got the best security guards in the business. <laughs> so it's like, you can't even pay for that kind of, that kind of security. So before I would go anywhere, I'd call my FBI agent and I'd say, hey, this is where I'm going. And uh, he'd say, okay, what's your flight numbers? And I'd give him my flight numbers. It's not because I had to, I chose to. It was a voluntary action. I'd say, I'm getting on, you know, Northwest 7 coming into Seattle on this date. And he goes, okay, no problem, passing on to the local guys. And then a few weeks later, I'd call him up again. He goes, oh, where are you going this time? Okay, I'm going to Mexico City. Okay, what flight is it? Okay, Continental 1639 coming into Houston. So I'd give him all these details and then those, those uh, Phone calls turned to emails, and the emails got much, much longer and longer and longer uh, to the point where I'd make websites and I'd send him pictures and I'd give him travel tips <laughs> of, you know, this is the bar. These are the bars in Cambodia that you should visit. They're really, you know, it's like it's, food is good, it's cheap, it's beautiful beaches. You know, they're, they're, they really like Americans now. Uh, and, uh, and he would always write back, thank you, be safe. So, you know, here I am, like, writing him thousands and thousands and thousands of words, and he would always be, thank you, be safe. So it's just very, like, un you know, I felt kind of jilted. It was like a very unbalanced relationship. You know, you've been, been in those situations, you think you're actually, like, connecting with somebody, so you tell them all these things, like, uh-huh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And here you are really thinking you are connecting. No, so I, I got kind of jilted, and I was like, you know what, why is this guy so special? So I, what I basically did, this was back in the uh, you know, old days, I had my old Nokia 6600 phone where you had to like punch in a whole bunch of times to text like one word. Remember those? So I took that, I took that and I basically turned it into, into a tracking device. So I'd take a photo and I would basically send it to my FBI agent. 
and you can that way he can monitor me. And actually, it's still running now. So now these days, it's it's an iPhone app. So you can go home and you could you know rest easy where a former terrorist suspect is sleeping at all times or where, where my whereabouts. So you know, so I decided to share everything. So I started posting like things about like, you know, the empty hallways or then the the food that I was eating or the toilet that I was just using, you know, because you know I'm all about full disclosure. They need to know. They need to know every little detail. But the funny thing is that when I first started this project 15 years ago, people thought I was crazy. Why in the world do you want to tell everybody everything? I mean, these days people look at me like, what's the big deal? This looks on my Instagram feed. But and when you look at this thing. It's, you know, so when, you know, this is not crazy. You know, just right now, there's 1.7 billion people just on Facebook alone. That is like the population of the U.S. and China combined. Facebook's the largest country in the world. We're all doing this. So back in the old days, some FBI agent would have to follow you around and photograph you and chase you around. These days, you're all doing it. We're all doing this. That's the really business. So we've turned into our own informants. We've turned into our own big brothers. So here's the thing. So let's, let's do this. I, I see many of you have iPhones out or you've had them. So pull out your iPhones. Pull out your iPhones. So let's, we're going to do something quick. We're going to do something together. So if you, if you have an Android, there's a way of going about this, but uh, it's, it's, it's slightly different on that. But, but huh? Oh, yeah, if you have a Verizon flip phone, sorry. You know, but, you know, but you can ask Verizon, and they can help you out. Or the NSA. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. You're going to have to ask the NSA for that one. So if you have an iPhone, go to your settings. And then once you're in your settings, go into privacy. That should be about five or six options down. So settings, privacy. Go into your privacy, and you should see a thing for location services across the top. You see it? Go into your location services. So settings privacy, location services, and you're going to see a whole bunch of things. Those are all the apps that have asked for your locations. So scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Towards the bottom, you'll see something. It doesn't even look like an app. It just says system services with a whole bunch of stuff underneath it. Go into that tab for system services. Okay, go into it. You got it. And then once you're in there, you see all these other things that are in the system services, and it's just, it's like all of these, you know, those are all the things that are tracking you. Scroll down, scroll down. Yeah, there's nothing that says, you know, send report to FBI. It's, it's kind of hidden. Yeah, so scroll down, and then when you go down towards the bottom of the system services, somewhere along the way, you should, towards the bottom, you should see frequent locations. You see it? Go into the frequent locations. Well, if it's off, great. If it's not off, chances are it's probably on because it's on by default. Go into it. Go into each of those. Go into each of those lines. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for monitoring yourself for the government. <laughs> Thanks. Away beyond the hills of Idaho. Where yawning canyons greet the sun As it smiles above the trees in Idaho To say another night is done Warm summer winds 
Thank you. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, and me, Jody Eichelberger. This project is supported by the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to the Slammers in the Slam show sponsor, Davis Family Medicine, and to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessare, featuring live music from the storytellers. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. We want to hear your stories. Email us at story at storystorynight.org. While away from whiskey, wild women and beer.